0: bad guys have broken his arms, broken his legs, hit him hard enough in the head to kill him. And that is about as evil as racing crooks can get. I'm Andrew Rule, and apart from everything else, I'm the author of the new Winx authorised biography, which is flying off bookshelves around the nation. Don't miss out. There have been many racing scandals, but I believe that the worst three scandals in my lifetime were the knobbling of Big Faloo in the 1969 Melbourne Cup, the death of a trainer called George Brown after an aborted ring-in attempt in Queensland in early 1984, and possibly linked to that, the famous fine cotton ring-in at Eagle Farm, also in Brisbane, later that same year, 1984. Let's start with Big Falou. Big Falou was a very good stayer. He'd won the 1969 Caulfield Cup on protest after Roy Higgins, his jockey, had appealed against interference by the winner. But that was nothing compared with the stir when the warning siren sounded at Flemington just after two o'clock on Melbourne Cup Day. It was just 39 minutes before the cup was due to be run. The siren sounded. Stewards had found the favourite Big Falou scouring badly, meaning he was scouring wet manure in the back of his stall. He was very, very sick. And the horse had to be immediately withdrawn from the race, which of course threw the betting markets into turmoil. It was a great result for bookies because all those people who had backed Big Faloo all up, as they say in the bookmaking trade, would automatically lose their money and it would put many millions of dollars in the bookmaker's bags. Meanwhile, another horse would win the race. And it would mean that whoever backed the other horse, Rain Lover, would win plenty. This was one of the greatest scandals in 30 years at the time. It turned out that a former strapper at Bart Cummings Stable, Cummings Trained Big Falloo, a former strapper called Leslie Lewis, was suspected of involvement in the nobbling. This horse, Big Falloo, had been nobbled with a purgative by someone close to him, and the suspicion fell on this guy, Les Lewis, who had gone off to New Zealand soon after the races and stayed there, but was later deported from New Zealand back to Australia, where there was an inquiry held. He was charged with nobbling big for Lou, but he beat the rap. He was later acquitted because there was no firm evidence and because, probably, Les Lewis told a pack of lies. Interestingly, those who investigated this found out a very strange thing about Les Lewis. Now, this was a time when interstate phone calls were expensive and relatively rare. You had to book your call through an operator, and it cost plenty of money. A poor, battling strapper like Les Lewis would not normally be making interstate phone calls, but he had. He had made reverse-charge calls to a bookmaker's office in Sydney. That is very interesting. What they discussed on those reverse charge calls, we'll never be sure. But these calls ceased just before the Melbourne Cup was run, just before Big Flu was nobbled, and just before Les Lewis flew the coop to New Zealand. Interesting confluence of events. There is something known about that case which has never really been revealed, and that is that Bart Cummings always blamed one Sydney bookmaker for nobbling his horse Big Flu. And the following year, Bart had an excellent mare called Lilani, And Lilani was owned by Andrew Peacock, and she was an extremely gifted racehorse. And on this occasion, Bart was at the races, and a prominent Sydney bookmaker approached him. And the bookmaker knew that Bart blamed him over Big Flu, but he thought that it had all blown over. And he said, what do you got for me? You got any information? You know, can you help me out? And Bart said to him, oh, yeah, I can. He said, "Lilani, she's favourite in this, but she can't win. She just can't do it. She's not up to it. She needs the run. And the bookmaker said, thank you very much. And he went back and he wound out the price a little bit and all the money flooded onto Lilani. And then Lailani proceeded to win easily. And this made the bookmaker very sad because he'd lost lots and lots of money, whereas he thought he was going to make lots and lots of money. And he approached Bart Cummings later and he said, what was that for? And Bart just said, Big Faloo. True story told to me by the bookmaker's son. That story is vaguely amusing because in the end it involved only money and a sick racehorse. What's not remotely funny is the story of the death of George Brown. George Brown was a natural and gifted horseman. He came from outback Queensland where he was born in the 1940s. His father was a digger who'd fought in the Middle East and then in New Guinea and later had bought a cattle station after the war. George was the youngest of a fairly large family. They were all very good with horses. He grew up just riding ponies and stock horses and all the rest of it. And he graduated into breaking in horses. He went to England where his older brother had gone. His older brother actually trained to be a bullfighter at one stage overseas. And George worked for five years for an English trainer. And he rode horses that were owned by famous Hollywood stars and I think possibly the Queen and others. And he rode as a steeplechase jockey and he eventually got too big to be a jockey and he came back to Australia and he set up as a trainer. And although he was an extremely good horseman, George Brown was not extremely good at running the financial side of a stable, which is often the way. And he was a small-time trainer with small-time clients And he got small time results with small time horses. And he scrabbled along, he got married, he had children, he did the best he could. And then in about 1983, people noticed that George was no longer wearing his funny old musty suits that had mothballs in them, that George was wearing new suits and new shoes. But he looked more prosperous, but he also looked more worried. And he'd lost weight, and he looked thin, and he looked depressed. And putting two and two together later on, you'd wonder whether somebody was putting pressure on George to do bad things in racing. Perhaps he'd fallen in with thieves, standover men and gangsters. Perhaps they were standing over him to do the sort of things they wanted done so they could run ring-ins and nobble horses and all that sort of stuff. And around this time in 1983, the early 80s, Queensland racing, particularly Brisbane racing, stunk to high heaven. Southern bookmakers realised that when certain people backed certain horses in Queensland, they never lost. And it got that way that those wise bookmakers would reduce the bets of those people to a quarter because they didn't want to take their bets because they knew something was sus and something was going on and it was going to be uh, illegal and illicit. But they weren't sure exactly what it was. But the rumours were around. At the same time, friends and family of George Brown realised that he was a man under pressure. It was getting worse for him. He would get strange phone calls. He looked haunted. And the day came in March 1984 when George is due to go north from Sydney to Brisbane to run a filly called Risley at Durban. Risley was a fairly undistinguished filly. She'd had a couple of starts the previous year and not run very well. So it was natural that when she was entered at Durban she would start at odds of around 14 to 1, because that was fairly accurate odds of her chances. Very attractive odds if you thought she would win, or if you thought another horse pretending to be Risley would win. And it would appear that these unknown gangsters and uh, manipulators, evil people, were standing over George Brown to switch in another horse. Now, I understand that the problem was that the horse they wanted switched in was not another filly that looked like Risley, it was a gelding. It wasn't even the same gender. They wanted horse X to go in to run in place of Risley, but George Brown said, that's disastrous. The simplest check. Someone will know that it's not her. And when he got to the races at Doombin, he looked very worried and he went and got the identity papers to show the stewards and did what he could. He legged up the jockey and uh, Risley ran as the odds suggested. She ran nowhere. But the funny thing was, Risley was backed off the map, interstate. She was backed off the map at Wollongong races. This is back in the days when there were strong betting rings at all race meetings, where big bets could be got on. And she was backed off the map, I think in Sydney, at a race meeting in Sydney. And she was backed right down into short odds, and uh, that would represent a lot of money. But that confidence was misplaced, and Risley ran nowhere. And George Brown looked extremely quiet and sad as he unsaddled her and loaded her on the truck to go back to Sydney. His older sister, Jean, and her husband picked him up at the races and dropped him off to the airport to fly back to Sydney while the truck went down the road with a truck driver. It was the last time they saw him, and that was because the following day, George Brown was visited by persons unknown. Persons believed to be Tongan standover men working for gangsters. These were just employed muscle, hired muscle. And it is said in certain circles, and has never really been refuted, that a couple of Tongan guys whose usual occupation was to stand on the doors of nightclubs or to break people's legs or sometimes people's heads were sent around to George Browns to teach him a lesson. The lesson being, when we tell you to ring a horse in, you ring it in. But it is said that these Tongan guys were high on some sort of drug, and they overdid it and they broke George's arms and they broke George's legs. But then they hit him too hard and uh, possibly he died then and there because no one saw exactly what happened to George at his uh, stables or in his flat. What did happen was that early next day an alert motorist saw a fire up at the Bulleye Pass well out of Sydney and there was a car on fire beside the freeway and I think it's the Eye Bypass and police and fire brigades were called and they put the fire out and they found inside the car the burnt remains of george brown the bad guys had broken his arms broken his legs hit him hard enough in the head to kill him and then taken the body all the way up to this uh, country place beside the freeway in his own car obviously with another car following so they could get away and then they'd set fire to it and that is about as evil as racing crooks can get but amazingly That mystery of George Brown's death was never solved. It's possible that the corrupt New South Wales police at the time weren't trying. It's possible that corrupt police might have been uh, going slow or sitting on their hands because there was influence pulling strings from above. All these things are possible. It's a sad and terrible story, but it's not really finished because five months later, in late 1984, there was a far more famous scandal. That, of course, is the fine cotton scandal. It also happened in Brisbane. It also involved a widespread network of plungers and betting, very similar to the Risley case. Fine cotton was a useless country nag. He was not much good. He'd been picked up around the picnic circuit for a few hundred dollars, but he was a distinctive looking animal and some smarties had bought another horse a much better performed horse that looked like fine cotton. And the idea was they would pull a ring in and they would substitute the good horse for fine cotton and they would back it off the map in Brisbane and they'd all go home with the money. What's often forgotten in this fine cotton case is that it involved three horses. The original ring in was a horse called Dashing Saltaire. Now Dashing Saltaire looked like fine cotton. He had some chance of being rung in because he actually looked similar. But as often happens with horses, things go wrong. And what happened late in the piece with this scheme, a dashing salt hair was in a, a paddock on the edge of Brisbane, and some kangaroos had jumped out of the bush and frightened him, and he ran through a fence and cut himself too badly to be able to run in the race. But when the patsy horse trainer who was fronting as a patsy for the bad guys... This uh, horse trainer was called Hayden Haitana. Hayden Haitana rang the bad guys and said, listen, I've got bad news. Um, the horse has hurt himself. The good horse has hurt himself, dashing Soltaire We'll have to hold this over for another day and patch him up and then we'll do it. And they said, no, too late, too late. The money's already on in Sydney with the, you know, the really tough guys. So it's not worth it. Just find some other way to make this happen. He said, this is crazy. You know, we'll be sprung. We'll be caught. We can't get away with this. And they said, just do it. And he thought, well, I know what happened to George Brown. In fact, I think someone raised the name of George Brown. He knew that George Brown had ended up dead. So Hayden said, right you are, no problem. So he rushed out and he bought a horse called Bold Personality who was on the market. He was a handy racehorse. He looked nothing really like fine cotton. This was a bit sad. It was a comical chain of events these poor panicky underlings were so frightened of the gangsters that were running the betting rot that they thought better to be caught doing this than to not do it because the gangsters will shoot us. We're not so, as frightened of the stewards as we are of the gangsters. So they got some paint and they painted a white sock on the horse. They got some other colouring and painted out his star or whatever, white star. So they got, you know, white paint and dark hair dye from a chemist shop and they're trying to dye this horse to look like the other horse. It was very, very messy. And the horse sweated, the paint ran, it was very messy and then Hayden Hotana bandaged the horse's legs to cover its leg markings and he knew it was doomed. <laughs> he took the horse to the races. He legs up the jockey Gus Philpot, and uh, a very good apprentice at the time and he said, just keep this thing out of trouble and it'll uh, it'll bolt in. Or words to that effect. He might have said something stronger. Just keep it out of trouble. And Gus Philpott was thinking, what? This thing shouldn't be able to win. It's you know, it's a 33 to one shot. It's no good. It's a picnic horse. Anyway, sure enough, out he goes. He keeps it out of trouble. And it didn't actually bolt in. It won narrowly. But Gus Philpott was a very gifted young rider and he got it to the line and won the race. But already... As it was coming back to scale, the public were calling out, ring in, ring in. The whole betting ring was yelling, ring in, ring in, because that horse had been backed all over Australia, in Fiji and in New Guinea betting shops. It was a massive plunge across, you know, half the Southern Hemisphere. So it was rather obvious that something was wrong. And, uh, of course, the stewards, who some would say might have been in on the joke, as were the local police, allegedly, and were forced to call inquiry and the the um, scam was exposed. Hayden Haitana and other people close to the horse, Fine Cotton, were arrested and eventually several people were arrested. But the masterminds were never actually charged criminally over frauding the public and all the other charges that arise. But in the subsequent inquiry, it was found that Sydney bookmakers Bill and Robbie Waterhouse had prior knowledge of the ring Now, the stewards did not find that Bill and Robbie Waterhouse and others had actually conceived of this plan, only that they had prior knowledge, that they'd heard that there was a betting coup in the offing and they backed it. Interestingly, a um, Catholic priest that was associated with the Waterhouse family had um, turned up at the races and backed the horse, as did many other people associated with the family which is um, just one of those mysteries, really. That really sums up the worst of racing scandals in this country's history. There's nothing good or funny about any of them. But next week, we'll take a look at the lighter side of racing. We'll look at the scallywags. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.